We're going to be looking at Ephesians 1 this morning, finishing up Ephesians 1. We started with the first portion of it. We're going to look at a small portion of it this morning, verses 11 through 14. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it with me. If not, there are some over there. Feel free to just go up and grab one. Um, And I decided to lay aside my ESV Bible this week since I was back home, and I pulled my my very intimidating NIV off the shelf. So hopefully uh, my translation will be a little bit more in line with your translation. Um, But last week, we looked at the first part of Ephesians 1, and we talked about how we're blessed by God. Because of Christ, because of our relationship to him, we we are blessed by God. That's that's what our identity is. We were chosen to be his before the foundation of the world, which is just an unbelievable thought, isn't it? that the almighty God of everything considered his creation and thought of you, your name, your face, your life, and decided to choose you to be one of his children. That is mind-blowing. But now Paul says that he, and uh, let, me, let me read this first, um, verse, starting in verse 11. In him, Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. All right. So now, last week Paul said, we're blessed. We're blessed in Christ. We are blessed to be a part of his family, to have been chosen by him. Now he says that he and the disciples specifically, the early church leaders, were chosen. Okay, that's the, that's the we he's referring to in the first part of verse 11. Um, in fact, they were chosen to be the first to put their hope in Christ so that he would be glorified, okay? God specifically had them in mind for that mission on earth. And then he says, um, sorry, he says, we also in verse 11, okay? So he's referring to a different we than he was in the first few verses, right? So the first, the the verses we looked at last week, the we is all inclusive. It's it's everyone whose faith is in Christ. Then he kind of turns a corner and he says, we specifically, the church leaders in this period of time, were chosen to be the first to hope in Christ, that God might be glorified. And then he's going to turn uh, and and talk about a different uh, set of people in verse 13, right? He kind of goes back to the first group of we. He says, you also were included, right? Let me read verse 13 again. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So he's saying, For any of us who've hoped in Christ, we have that same benefit, right, to be blessed. And what I really want us to focus on this morning are these verses 13 and 14, where Paul's going to talk about our place in God's family, okay? And I want us to hopefully draw some encouragement from this. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14 again. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, so verse 13 says that we are marked. There's a proof that we are included in Christ is the phrase that he he uses. 
And the proof is the Holy Spirit. And then there's what the proof points to, right? And that's our inheritance. So if you find yourself, uh, you know, uh, on some sort of crime scene, you find pieces of proof, the proof point to a truth that the scene is revealing, right? Now, this isn't a crime scene, but you get the idea, right? These are the two ideas I want us to think about this morning. The proof and then the truth itself. The proof, the truth, the proof points to. It's kind of a tongue twister. So I actually want to kind of start with the truth and then work our way backwards, okay? Uh, the truth is that we have an inheritance in Christ. That's, that's the phrase he uses, right? Uh, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. So what, I- what exactly is that inheritance? We don't deal too much with inheritances anymore. Um, to be real honest with you, I, I work at a bank, and what I see more than anything is, p- is families passing on their debt to their children more than their uh, inheritance, right? Um, we, we don't deal with inheritances too much anymore these days, but an inheritance is a benefit that your children or your family members receive from you. It's a benefit you bestow upon them. I want to use Queen Elizabeth II as our current example, okay? She's the current Queen of England. And when she was crowned Queen of England, I think it was back in 1952, yeah, 1952, she received one crazy inheritance, all right? Um, When she became Queen of England at age 26, she obviously inherited the throne of England, uh, which is a pretty prestigious identity to suddenly inherit, right? Authority along with that throne over about a third of the world. At that time period, the Queen of England, she would have ruled the UK, so all of Great Britain, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Pakistan, and Ceylon. I don't even know where that is. Uh, I should have looked it up, but I don't. They were all part of the kingdom that she inherited, right? Spreading across five different continents. Can you imagine basically waking up one morning and suddenly having authority and power over a kingdom that spread five continents and included who knows how many millions of people, right? She also became, by right, through her inheritance, the head of the Church of England, all right? As if it wasn't enough responsibility to be uh, lord over all of those countries. Now she's also leading the Church of England. And she sat on a throne that existed for roughly a thousand years. Not the actual physical throne, but, you know, the representation of what that throne is, Okay. Today, the wealth of the monarchy that she inherited, when you include land, titles, income, everything else that goes with the crown of England, you know, the crown jewels, et cetera, all that, it's estimated to be worth around $12 billion. And that's in today's dollar. So who knows what it was, you know, half a century ago. Not to mention the prestige, the authority, the power that comes with that kind of inheritance, right? Let's not forget Buckingham Palace, which suddenly became her primary place of residence. If you've ever been there, it is absolutely stunning in its beauty. Uh, You know, one among many of the pieces of properties that she inherited, right? This place would put MTV Cribs to shame. I mean, it is just insanely decadent. It it tops out at a whopping 803,000 square feet, roughly 350 times the size of my house, right? I mean, you could probably take all of Rancho El Dorado and it would fit inside of her palace. Just unbelievably big. And it sits on the most prime piece of real estate in all of London. You know, just absolutely gorgeous. She throws a party each year 
where she invites, invites 50,000 people to come and dine freely because that's the type of power and authority she has that she inherited in her gardens that are her, the largest private gardens in all of England, okay? Now, that is a pretty glorious inheritance, right? I mean, apart from the fact that you'd have a lot of responsibility, if somebody said, hey, if I sign this over to you, that's your inheritance, it's yours, you probably wouldn't complain, right? You could hire people to take care of all the official stuff. Just hang out and enjoy the inheritance, right? But the inheritance that we have in Christ is, is infinitely better than that. Infinitely better. It far surpasses money, property, power, authority, all of those things. What that inheritance is, is to be a child of the one true God. To reap all of the benefits that come from being a part of his family, his royal family, if you will, in this life and in the life to come. It's knowing that in this life, all that happens will eventually work itself out for our good, right? Romans 8.28, we've been through that before here. It's having eternal life the way that it was supposed to be when we pass from this life into eternity. What do I mean by that? Because, living, uh, because eternal life isn't just about living forever. It's more than just a quantity of life. Because if you read scripture, every human has an eternal destination. It's a quality of life. What kind of life will we have? Well, because we've inherited what Christ offers us, we not only have a quantity of life that we will live eternally, we have an eternal quality of life. We will be ever-present with God himself, dwelling with him in person. When we talk about uh, our inheritance, it's, it's knowing that our Heavenly Father is always present with us, here and now, in this life, caring for us, watching over us. Our inheritance is joy, it's, it's restoration, it's redemption, it's love in the cross of Christ, where he took our punishment upon himself because he loves us. That's our inheritance. It's finding encouragement in the truth that history will ultimately culminate in this epic battle between good and evil. And that we will stand on that final day triumphantly beside our Lord and Savior as he destroys the power of evil once and for all. That's our inheritance, right? It's living for eternity in the very kingdom of God in a palace at least 350 times bigger than Buckingham Palace, right? Don't fact check me on that because I don't know the exact size. But you can imagine, right? It's hope and peace for this life here and now. That's our inheritance. And this is the inheritance that Paul tells us. We already have it because we're in Christ. The word that he uses here is guaranteed, right? Verse 14, he says, a, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Absolutely nothing can come between us and that inheritance if our faith is in Christ, right? We're waiting for kind of the final and permanent reality of this inheritance to come to fruition, but it's guaranteed to happen. It's guaranteed. We can rest assured it's as good as done. The legal documents have been signed. The plan's in place. It's just a matter of time. It's working itself out. But how do we know that, right? That's the truth. So what's the proof? How do we know? I mean, the Bible says it, so that's one way. Uh, and I personally believe the Bible for a number of different reasons. But that's one way. But we have an even more tangible proof of the truth of our inheritance. 
And Paul tells us what that is. He, he says in verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That's the proof. It's the Holy Spirit, right? We've been marked with a seal, and the seal is the promised Holy Spirit. And I don't have time this morning to go into what the promised Holy Spirit means. We could search the Old Testament scriptures and find uh, passage after passage that, excuse me, um, that suggests that the Holy Spirit is coming, you know, in the Old Testament. But when you surrender your life to Jesus and you ask him to be your Lord and Savior, you cease stumbling blindly through life by yourself and you receive the Spirit of God to aid you and guide you as you make your way through life, right? Jesus told his disciples that it would actually be better for them if he left them physically. Because when he left them physically, the promise was, I will send my Holy Spirit who will dwell in you, who will guide you, who will be ever-present with you, like Jesus was with his disciples, but in an even more powerful way, right? He said he would send them a helper, to be with them in his place. And this helper is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself who dwells in us and offers us access to the very power of God that Jesus revealed to our world, right? This is the seal, the proof of our inheritance, the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me just quickly list some of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our world, that does in our lives, okay? And, and I hope that as I say some of these, you'll realize that the Holy Spirit has been present in your life if you've committed your life to Christ. So let me, let me list some of these off. The Holy Spirit is the very blessing that we talked about last week. That's what it means to have the Holy Spirit present, is, is the reality of that blessing. He gives, us both, he gives us life both literally, physically. I mean, the very reason you breathe is, is God's grace working out in creation, but also spiritually. If you have any sort of spiritual life, it is because of the Holy Spirit breathing that life into you. Okay? The Holy Spirit gives us the power to actually live out the words of Jesus in love and in acts of service. The Holy Spirit purifies us and makes us able to come before the throne of God and actually stand and not just be consumed by his holiness and his glory. The Holy Spirit reveals to us the presence of God in our world. It opens our eyes to the beauty of creation that suggests something more than just chance or happenstance, right? It opens our eyes to the truth of Scripture, the work of God in the world around us. The Holy Spirit guides us, directs us, leads us, and prompts us in this life to make wise decisions and to find the life that Jesus said he came to give. He works in our church. He works in our world, changing lives, changing hearts wooing people to himself. He teaches us and illuminates our hearts and minds to the truth and love of God. My prayer every week as I prepare to stand up here is not that I would have words to say, but that God's Holy Spirit would speak through me to you. The Holy Spirit unifies us as a church, and not just our church, but as a part of a much larger church, capital C, that is what the Bible describes as the bride of Christ. Right? The, the very the very body of Christ at work in the world. 
the church, or I'm sorry, the Spirit unifies his church, not only across the world, across denominations, but, but through the ages, there's a unity that's brought by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit imparts unique spiritual gifts to believers so that some people have a supernatural ability to stand up and teach. Others have a supernatural ability to have compassion and to care for those around them. Some have a supernatural ability to give away money because they feel a desire to just give it freely. Others have a supernatural ability, I I don't know, for all sorts of things, for arts, crafts, musical gifts, to, to lead others in small groups, to disciple people, to do evangelism, whatever it is. The Holy Spirit imparts unique spiritual gifts on those who are a part of God's family, right? So that we can each contribute in a unique way to the growth and the development of the church. The Holy Spirit fills us with a divine power. This one always gets me. A divine power, the very same divine power that actually physically raised the dead body of Jesus from death back to life. That kind of power. And, and I could, again, quote you numerous verses uh, on the Holy Spirit and show us exactly how the Spirit of God does all of those things. And, and if you want those verses, I'd be happy to email them to you. But we don't have all day, so I, I'm not going to spend the time to do that. Um, I just want to share this one verse from 1 Corinthians 2.12 that simply says, We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. God has imparted his Holy Spirit to us so that we can understand what it means for us to be a part of his inheritance, right? The proof itself. And that's the seal and the proof of our inheritance. We understand all that God has given and done for us. And then the Spirit empowers us in our faith and in our walk to grow, to move closer to Christ. And Paul uses the word here, marked, right? Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. There's something different about those who have the Holy Spirit, or at least there should be something different, right? Maybe you've been to a church where they claim to have the Holy Spirit, but you're kind of leery about the claim, right? But there, there at least should be something different about those who are marked with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 gives us a wonderful picture of what life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit looks like. And I'm, I'm just obsessed with this passage. I'm sure you've heard these before. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you've hung around Maricopa Springs for a while, you've heard me mention this before. I, I remember the day that I realized That's not a a description of what I'm trying to be. That's a description of who God allows me to be because of his spirit at work in me. It's not something I'm I'm making this unbelievable effort to become, right? Have you ever just sat and tried to be patient? It's like torture, right? That's not the point. The point is, because of the Holy Spirit, we have these fruit, this, this... this character that just bleeds out of us. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God imparts that to us. Let me read Galatians 5, through 25 to you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Truthfully, apart from God, people don't ever attain the highest levels of these virtues. They simply don't. You may meet good people. You may meet kind and patient people. And they may not be Christ followers. But the most profound examples of these realities, I promise you, will be found throughout history in the followers of Jesus. And, and you know another way I know that? I remember as a kid my dad telling me, people don't counterfeit paper bags, right? Because they're worthless. Why would you counterfeit something that has no value? Another proof to me that this is true is how many counterfeits of Christianity there are. How many counterfeit Christians there are. That we, we somehow inherently know that there's a value to this reality, this, this truth that is Christ. And that's why the counterfeits have sprung up. But these virtues are simply too difficult apart from the Holy Spirit. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives are defined by these virtues because we've been marked by God himself, as Paul says here. We seek to live lives worthy of our inheritance through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not that we're trying to please God. We've just received so much. We want to be worthy of it, right? We seek to live lives that are worthy of our inheritance in Christ. And we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, not by our own will or effort. I, I want to... I I hope this is okay, but I'm, I'm, I want to use some examples of people sitting here where I see the Holy Spirit exemplifying itself, right? It's through the Holy Spirit that Tom is going to find the peace to deal with the anger that he asked us to pray for him for last week. That's, that's where he's going to find that strength. And I believe he's working that out. He's trying. He's making an effort there. And I believe it was the Holy Spirit that prompted him to confess that. To our community. And that's a hard thing to do. It's by the power of God at work within him that Dan has the self-control to not drink alcohol because he realized how bad it is for him. Right? And you've been doing that for months now. A, a very long time. I'm proud of you. Georgie and Dave have the love and patience to deal with their son Andrew and his addiction because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within them. My wife, Leanne, has the kindness through the Holy Spirit to lead our children's ministry, even though I know that she would rather be in here worshiping with you guys. I don't know if you met Ted and Lana, who were with us last week. They're kind of snowbirds, but every time they're in town, they, they join our church community. They're facing some challenging medical issues right now, but they're still filled with joy because of God's Holy Spirit alive and at work within them, right? Through the Holy Spirit, Dustin, our youth pastor, has the goodness to run our student ministry without any compensation. We don't pay him a dime simply because he loves seeing junior high and high school kids come to know Jesus. If you have never ridden in a 15-passenger van filled with high school kids, you have no idea the kind of goodness the kind of divine goodness required to do something like that, okay? Through the Holy Spirit, Ron and Esther show faithfulness to God 
by helping us set up before church, tear down after church. And they even take the carpets from our children's ministry. From time to time, they take them home and they steam clean them. I've never asked them to do that, right? And, and you know, there's so many more. I, I could go on. I could spend the whole morning telling ways that I've specifically heard from you guys how God is at work in our church. And some of these things are small, right? No one's ever going to win an award for steam cleaning carpets, right? It's a small thing. And other things are huge, but they're all exceptional things. They're not things that come just from willing it. They're things that come from the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. And if it weren't for the proof, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit working in our lives, these things wouldn't be happening around us, as small as our church may be. And they reveal an even greater truth to us, that that this community here is included in Christ, as Paul says, right? And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And and the truth is that, that we should be a community where it's glaringly obvious that we're marked by God himself. I've talked about it before. We're, we're an awkward community, you know. We're, we're kind of a, a community thrown together in the craziness of life. But I think, it's, I think it's apparent that God's Holy Spirit is here, is working, is moving. And, and I see that. I see the proof of our identity in Christ. And we should radiate these, these kinds of qualities because of the inheritance that we have in Christ that's guaranteed, that's secured, that is certain for us. And we don't do it merely through a greater effort on our own part, right? We receive it from God when we put our hope in Christ. Read verses 13 and, and 14 with me again. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. There's not really any action required on our part. We just receive it. I guess we have to accept it, which is an action. But primarily, we just receive it. It's the deposit that God gives to us, a down payment that promises eternity. It's the proof of our inheritance. I want us to just turn to worship now. I'm going to invite Eric to come back up. I'm going to pray for us. But I just want you guys to give God praise and thanks for our inheritance in the Holy Spirit. That is worth standing in reverent awe and praise of our God for his grace. And I want to ask before we do that, that we'd receive his Holy Spirit in even greater portions this morning that the world would know that we are marked in Christ. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your spirit, for your Holy Spirit that accomplishes so much in this world, in our lives, in our church. We give you praise for that. And I thank you that it's, that it's guaranteed in Christ, that we are included in that inheritance through Christ. And God, I pray this morning for a greater portion of your Holy Spirit to rest on us, on our hearts, on our lives, 
on our church, on our city. And I pray that we truly would be a people who are marked by that promise. That we would live lives that have eternal significance through the power of your spirit. Amen.